Okay, Leviticus chapter 11. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 11. This is one of the fun chapters that's telling you all these things are bad and these things are good and all the, all the nitty-gritty details. Uh, it has to do with clean and unclean animals. And we're just going to cover this one chapter today. So let's read it together. Uh, Leviticus 11, verse number 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, uh, um, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But everything in the seas or rivers that does not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters, is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hopo, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet, with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening. And he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground, the mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. And any, anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. Sorry, shall be unclean. Whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose, it must be put in water. It shall be unclean until the evening, then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. 
Any food in it that could be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean, and all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. So it's biblical that, that when you wake up in the middle of the night and you go get a drink of water and there's a dead fly in it, don't drink it. <laughs> um, and, uh, on verse 35, I believe. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain for you. Shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or cistern holding water shall be clean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours and whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground you shall not eat for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy." This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. There we, there we go. <clears throat> I want us to remind us, uh, or I want to remind us of a couple things um, before we think about this chapter again. One is remember we've talked about this principle of these sort of circles of approaching to God, where you have the Holy of Holies, one person once a year, not without blood, can enter in there on the Day of Atonement. You have the holy place where only the priests would serve. You have the courtyard where sacrifices are happening. You have the people camped around it with the presence of God central to them. And then you have outside the camp, and it's, it's uh, symbolic. It reflected a nation that was set apart to God, and everything that was outside, out in the wilderness is sometimes how it's described, is, is uh, symbolic of not being among God's people who have a way to approach uh, to God. Um, second, I have a, a chart that I found, um, and, and I thought it was useful, and that has to do with those things that are uh, clean and unclean and the holy and the common. Remember, there's, there's two categories of things that are, are well, uh, first of all, just common things, regular stuff. And regular stuff could be dedicated to the Lord or consecrated, and because of that, it could be holy. So you could have a sacrifice that you bring into the tabernacle, and it was a regular old cow, a, 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 one without blemish, a good cow, but you bring it in here, and you've dedicated it to the Lord, and it's sacrificed in the priest's seat part of it, and it's holy. Or you have the Levites, 
who were one of the tribes, and not necessarily a particularly special one, but God chose them to be the ones who would serve in the tabernacle, and so the, the Levites were consecrated. We uh, went through that last week, the ritual uh, consecration that they went through, and they become uh, a, a tribe that's holy for the tabernacle uh, service. Or you have some grain. It's just some grain from the rest of your grain. You eat it for lunch, but you take part of it, and you take it to the tabernacle, and you consecrate it, and you dedicate it to the Lord. So it's something common, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with the things being common, but those things could be dedicated to the Lord. Among the category of common things, you have clean and unclean things, and that's kind of where we are today. Uh, You could have something that is a common everyday thing that is unclean, or you could have a common everyday thing that is clean. If something is holy and you treat it as though it's common, you've profaned it. You haven't treated it as dedicated to the Lord. So it's, it's, it's sinful to, to treat something holy as being something that is just common every day. It's supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. If something's clean and it gets contaminated or polluted, it can become unclean. So through sin or violation of the law, something clean could become unclean. Um, if something unclean, like a person, could be unclean, but such a person could, if they fulfilled the requirements, uh, be cleansed and become clean again and be sanctified that way, okay? So the two big categories are things that are holy and things that are common, but under common things, you had clean and unclean things. Um, any thoughts or, or questions about that? I thought that chart was helpful. When we get to chapter 11, and there's all this talk of clean and unclean things, one of the differences you have is that the animals are described as sort of locked into categories. You had clean animals and unclean animals, and they were static. It's not as though an unclean bat could become a clean bat. They were just in those categories. But people, by connection or by touching, um, an unclean thing, an unclean animal, the person could become unclean, and so they had shi- the, the person would have shifted. If, the, if a clean person touches an unclean animal, or its carcass, for example, then the clean person is shifted to unclean, is polluted, and it has to be unclean, or the person has to be unclean until the evening, maybe wash whatever's washed the clothes, but then the unclean person can scoot back over into the clean category. Um, even though they've touched a contaminated, unclean thing. Um, so, so, so there's rules in this chapter about how a person moves from clean to unclean, but the categories of the animals are just sort of locked into their clean and unclean categories. Um, we've seen also, uh, and I already mentioned this uh, somewhat, but you have clean animals. Well, let me go back to it again. You have clean animals like a lamb or a cow, Clean animals could move from the category of being common to being holy, as I, as I mentioned, through being dedicated to the Lord, through being consecrated or sacrificed to the Lord. A clean animal could become a holy, dedicated one, but not an unclean one. You'd never use an unclean animal and, and offer it to the Lord uh, as a sacrifice or for the priest's seat or anything like that. That would have been a violation. So clean animals could move to the holy category if they're dedicated to the Lord. 
I'm going to run through and summarize just a few of these rules. We're not going to belabor it too much. But in verses 1 through 8, you have clean animals that live on the earth, so land-dwelling critters. And the requirements for them were that the clean animals were the ones that parted the hoof, or they were cloven-footed, like a goat has a split hoof, um, and choose the cud. So they had to meet both of those requirements. And um, Moses here, well, the Lord through Moses lists violations um, of, of unclean animals that they don't fall into both of those categories. So if you have a critter that chews the cud but isn't cloven-footed, then it's unclean. Or if you have one that, that is cloven-footed but doesn't chew the cud, then it's unclean. But if it meets both those requirements, if it's both cloven-footed and chews the cud, then it's clean. And we learn in those verses that if it's unclean, you're not supposed to eat it and you're not supposed to touch its carcass. Um, you could touch a living, unclean animal. For example, you want to ride on your camel, that's fine. You can ride on your camel, but you're not supposed to eat the camel, and you're not supposed to touch the, the camel's dead body. I, should say, I shouldn't say you're not supposed to touch it. Rather, if you do, you're unclean. If your camel dies in your front yard, and you have to drag it over and bury it, you're unclean, but it's not as though you've committed some grievous moral violation. You've just become unclean because of contact with a, a dead um, unclean animal, and so you need to be unclean until the evening. Uh, verses 9 and onward through verse uh, 12 describes detestable animals in the waters. And from what I can tell, detestable is just a good strong word for unclean. <laughs> okay, so there's not, um, I didn't find some deep rich meaning about the word detestable there. It just, it's just a strong term for, for this is unclean. Stay away from it uh, if you can. Detestable animals in the water are those that have no fins and scales. So you can eat regular fish with fins and scales. But other kinds of water animals, um, catfish, no scales, uh, shellfish, no, no fins or scales, whatever, um, those kind of animals were to be considered unclean. Same thing as the clean animals on the earth. Don't eat them, don't touch their dead carcasses, or you become unclean. 13 through 19 describes detestable birds. You weren't supposed to eat eagles and vultures and owls, etc. So do not eat them, it says. 20 through 23 describes detestable insects. So winged insects, don't eat them. Don't eat flies and gnats and what, whatnot. But if it was a winged insect with a jointed leg, like locusts or crickets or grasshoppers, you could chow down on those all you wanted, <laughs> a la John the Baptist style. <clears throat> um, it seems to be that, that uh, they could eat insects that weren't uh, scavenger insects. Grasshoppers aren't the type of insects that, are, are, uh, that eat refuse or, or carrion. Yes, sir? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's because biblical categories for where, excuse me, where animals fit are different than our modern scientific ones. So a bat flies, it's a bird, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, and we, we decided to scoot it into the mammal category because it's furry and has live young and stuff. But yeah, they, they would have... The same thing with whales. In the Bible, you don't have, have God going, well, whales, they're mammals because they bear live young. It lives in the ocean, it's a fish. <laughs> sort of like... Sort of simple categories, really. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. 
Um, so don't eat eagles and vultures and, and cormorants. You ever out on the lake and see a dead tree full of cormorants? Like, I don't know who would want to eat those things. Nasty birds. <laughs> but, but you weren't supposed to eat those ones. Those, those, those birds that seem to be uh, scavengers or, uh, or birds of prey. Insects, again, those that, that would be on refuse and carrion, not supposed to eat. But locusts and crickets and grasshoppers, they, they were fine to eat. In 24 and onward, we have a few just sort of various details. Here we learn that if you violate these, these rules concerning cleanness and uncleanness, that you become unclean. So by touching a, a, a dead camel, you scoot from the clean category into the unclean category. And how do you get out of it? Well, you're unclean until the evening and you need to wash your clothes. So there's a certain purification and time that needed to pass. And then you're, you're clean again. We also learn here that you weren't supposed to eat animals with paws. I assume that means like predatory animals, cats and dogs and stuff. 29 and onward, there's, there's discussion about lizards that you weren't supposed to eat. They were unclean. And we have these further details that, that articles that touched unclean things, they would become unclean. So your clothes or your tablecloth or a, a jar, whatever it may be, if it touched a carcass, then that article was to be washed and it was unclean until the evening, but then it was clean again. It had been, it'd been purified. Vessels could be made unclean. Seed grain if something died in your seed grain, it was clean unless it got wet. And clean animals, uh, even if they were a clean animal, but if they just died naturally or you came upon a carcass, then, it was, then you were unclean if you touched a dead, clean animal. Uh, also, we learned that swarming things and things that go on their belly were unclean. Before I get to verses 44 and onward, where we'll spend a little bit more time. You guys have any thoughts or observations uh, concerning this, this chapter? Doesn't mention horses. They would not have been cloven-footed, right? And they don't chew the cud, so they would be... Yeah, d don't eat your horse. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, even uh, donkeys and stuff aren't, aren't listed. Any, any of the horse kind are not there. But. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Before you, you just eat, eat any of them without paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the animals he lists are almost more like illustrations of the categories that he gives. Because he gives categories of the kind of animals that you shouldn't eat. It's got to meet these criteria. It's got to have fins and scales or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know what everyday life would have would have looked like. Uh, my guess is that it would have been six um, when it was essentially the next day, because that's when their next day started. So until the evening is essentially the same as saying till tomorrow, right? Um, so somewhere around six-ish, I would I would guess, and that's just me shooting from the hip. The the detestable word, okay, yeah. Any other observations? A lot of these are things that, even by our sensibilities, you wouldn't really want to eat. Like, don't eat eagles. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't really craving an eagle. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. So the things of, uh, yes, ma'am. Mm hmm. Yeah, and and we're gonna talk about that just a, a little bit in a minute, because um, yeah, that's an interesting aspect of it. Um, yeah, a lot of these sort of are, are, are nasty to our sensibilities, even still, which makes it pretty interesting when everything gets flipped and acts, and you can eat bats, <laughs> and it's actually okay, because even though we don't have the sensibility to think, I really want to eat a bat, especially after 2020, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, Biblically, you can, and it's not contaminating the same way that uh, that uh, uh, the 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 Hebrews would have seen it. So I want to look at a few of the reasons why. What what's going on here in verses forty four? We have some of the motivations. Why aren't you supposed to defile yourself with these unclean creatures? For I am the Lord your God is the first assertion there, which is the one that goes is, is woven all through the book of Leviticus. I am the Lord your God. So something about this instruction related to the righteousness and holiness of God. Why shouldn't I eat that? Because I'm God and you're my people. So don't eat it. Again, that's sort of a broad motivation because it doesn't, still doesn't tell us why God would choose to put something in one category or another. But assuming we have those categories, don't eat the unclean or touch the unclean carcasses because I'm the Lord your God. So, so you're supposed to behave in such a way that reflects my righteous rule and my righteous instruction. God is holy. He's, he's the most clean, the most consecrated, the most set-apart being that is in the universe, Yahweh God. And so you only touch these things that are clean and not defiled. So since Yahweh is your God, how should you behave? Consecrate yourselves. So see yourselves in that consecrated category. I am set apart to the Lord, and so I don't defile myself with these things that are considered to be 
unclean. And be holy, for I am holy. This is really interesting because we've read about the Levites being the holy ones who are consecrated to the Lord. But here he's saying, you all consecrate yourselves and all of you be holy. So everybody is supposed to see themselves over on the left side of that chart in the holy set apart to God category, even if they're not in the priestly category. So even so, the entire nation is supposed to be see themselves as set apart to God. They're the ones who are in the camp. Maybe not, they're not the ones who can go into the Holy of Holies or even the holy place, and they have to be careful how they approach God there, um, you know, if they're not the high priest or if they're not in the Levitical priesthood. So maybe they're not in that category, but they are the people in the camp. They are God's people, uh, and he is their God. And so they need to operate, behave themselves as people who are consecrated to the Lord. Be holy, for I am holy. And so the call for these people to obey these instructions and these clean, unclean rules was not that God was making random or arbitrary hoops that he demanded that they jump through, but rather these, these instructions somehow reflect the holiness and righteousness of God. They show something of his nature, and they compelled the people to live in a way that reflected his nature. That still remains true. We have this command to be holy how God is holy um, all throughout Scripture. So us as saints have this calling to be holy as God is and to behave ourselves in a consecrated manner because we are, are uh, acting in a way that reflects God's righteousness. We still have that call even if these clean-unclean rules don't stand the way that they stood for the Hebrews. And we'll get to that in a little bit too as to why we... They don't stand that way. So they were to, the God's nature and his rules compelled the people to live in a way that reflected God's nature. <clears throat> um, why else? Why would something be holy and something be, or, or sorry, something be clean and something be, be unclean? Well, I want to remind us again that uncleanness in and of itself wasn't moral sin. If you swat a fly in your tent and it's an unclean animal and now you just touched a a carcass, it's not as though you have committed some high-handed sin against God and are, are in moral violation. You simply had to be unclean until the evening and wash your clothes or whatever, and then you're clean again. So in and of itself, uncleanness was not a moral sin. Uh, you would have had contact with some of these things inevitably just in the course of life. Um, So again, you're not sinning, but it did symbolize proximity to sin. If you read through this, you get this sense that uncleanness is supposed to strike us as kind of nasty. Like it has some proximity or, or symbolic representation of sin, even if it isn't sin in and of itself. And so you approach this symbolic uncleanness. It's reflective of the fact that sin can't approach to God, and so you need to be clean again before you go about your normal activities, before you go about as a person who is within the camp. And so it symbolized proximity to sin, and cleansing was necessary for the people to continue to live within the camp, in God's presence. You had to operate within the cleansing boundaries that he had provided. 
Now, these clean and unclean foods, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think that these instructions on what was clean and what was unclean was primarily pragmatic. I don't, I don't think that food laws were primarily to keep the Jews from getting salmonella or botulism. Um, there may have been some aspect of that, possibly, um, but it isn't stated that way in the text. There's no implication here that God is somehow trying to protect them from an in- invisible germs that they d- weren't aware of yet, and so he gave them these rules, and they just had to follow it, not knowing that, uh, that because you're not eating selfish, shellfish, God's, God's keeping you from getting sick, and you don't even know it because you don't have microscopes yet. I don't really think uh, that is a, a main thrust. It may have had some side effects of them not eating um, food that perhaps had more bacteria or whatever, but it doesn't seem to be a, a primary implication. And another reason why I don't think that, first reason is because it isn't stated that way. Eat, don't eat these things because I'm taking care of you. It doesn't even have that, that, that flavor. But also, God rescinded all these food laws in Acts chapter 10. So what, what's, what, what, if he's protecting them from eating things full of bacteria, how come in Acts chapter 10 he's like, okay, you can eat it now? It's not as though they'd made leaps and bounds in germ theory by, by Acts chapter 10. They were still, by our standards, uh, really primitive in understanding how to um, uh, protect themselves from getting sick. Um, and so, so God tells them here not to do it, and then later says it's fine. So again, it doesn't seem like he's primarily trying to keep them from eating germs. Rather, it seems like primarily there, it was ceremonial. It was ceremonial uncleanness, and the ceremonial uncleanness of it was symbolic of morality and of holiness. And God's reasons that he gives in verses 44 and onward you don't contaminate your un- yourselves with unclean things because you're supposed to be holy, separate, distinct, and uh, holy like God is holy. So they were to be behaving in a way that was set apart, and so they had to be set apart from these things that, they, uh, that God tells them were in this category of being unclean. Um, a few things that, that, that probably contributed to animals being placed in the categories that they were. One of them is, is that the animals in the unclean category, many of the categories, seem to be proximity to death. Proximity to death is something that cuts through uh, all of the Levitical law. Death is seen as bad, uh, obviously. It's seen as impure. You, for a person to come in contact with death was to come in contact with uncleanness. So dead animals had a contaminating effect. Even if it was a clean animal, if it's dead, it's contaminating. Dead people, all of those had these ceremonially contaminating effect. And a lot of the rules um, here, even in chapter 11, have to do with an animal is dead. Even your clean animal, if it dies and you come in contact with the carcass, uh, you are made unclean until the evening. And many of the unclean animals here were carnivores or scavengers, and so they had this proximity to death. The clean land animals uh, tend to be vegetarian animals, and a, a grass-eating animal wouldn't have had any proximity with death. It's just eating grass. Uh, and interestingly, there's no category for clean or unclean plants. Plants aren't seen as something that contaminates 
at, at all. There's not, not clean and unclean categories for plants. But, but the animals seem to be the ones who are, had a proximity to death, whether because they are carnivores or scavengers, they were considered to be unclean. We could probably find exceptions, but broadly it seems to be that way. Secondly, there seems to be this category of where something's clean or unclean because it is abnormal or a variation from sort of the, the standard of its kind. Uh, An abnormality is, again, something that cuts through all the Levitical laws. Uh, sacrifices to God couldn't be an abnormal animal. It couldn't be a blemished animal. Uh, a priest uh, couldn't have certain kinds of abnormalities or defects. And it's not because a, a human being with a defect is in moral violation to God, but it's seen as symbolic of having some sort of problem where uh, a, a, a man, a Levitical priest couldn't serve as a priest because of an abnormality. So God has this standard of things being having to be um, uh, perfect or without blemishes. And some of these categories of critters seem to be variations from the norm of the kind. So, so animals in the water that have fins and scales, that's normal sea creatures. We eat those things. But things that are sort of, eh, like variations from that norm, then they weren't supposed to eat. Um, uh, animals that were vegetarians and had cloven hood and hooves were sort of seen as norms, and things that, that didn't meet those two criteria were sort of variations from the norm. So that seems to be one of the, the criteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the, abnor- the priestly abnormalities were spelled out as to certain sorts of blemishes that they weren't supposed to serve as priests. But it just seems to be a principle across the law that variation from the norm, abnormality, is sort of seen as as unclean or creating a, a problem of some kind. Uh, thirdly. Uh, it seems that the clean and unclean animals had some association with the worship of Yahweh. Let me put it this way. Clean and unclean, where have we heard those categories before this? At the flood, okay? So all the way back to Genesis 6, 7, and 8, you have... Noah commanded to bring seven of each kind of clean animal onto the ark and just two of the unclean animals. And at that point, uh, as we're reading it, uh, it's obviously written by Moses, who he knew all about clean and unclean things. But we haven't been told anything about how Noah would have known what was clean and what was unclean. And we just have to, by implication, consider if God told him to take seven of the clean animals, Noah must somehow have known. God must have told him and given him those categories of clean and unclean animals way before Leviticus. They had category for clean and for unclean. Flip over to Genesis chapter 8. Here's what happens. The flood recedes. They come out of the boat. Genesis chapter 8, verse number 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord 
and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. So you have way back to the flood, the categories of clean and unclean, and you have all the clean things getting sacrificed to the Lord. And there seems to be this parallel where the animals that were acceptable to offer to the Lord, and again, there's exceptions because they weren't offering grasshoppers on the altar. But sort of as a broad principle, many of these animals that could be sacrificed to the Lord were also the things that were acceptable for his people to eat. So they came in contact with those things that already established principles had, had been given to them that, that these things are acceptable to the Lord and therefore you as his people can, be, can consume or touch or whatever these sorts of, of animals. So that seems to be one of the big principles too, is that the clean was associated with Yahweh. There was some overlap between what could be sacrificed and what could be eaten. Not perfect overlap, but some association. So I'm just given three things so far that are not rock solid, but kind of contribute to general flavor of why something would fall in one category or another. Does it have proximity to death? Is it a variation from the norm? Is it associated with, with worshiping Yahweh? Here's another thing, and I think this is really, really important, is, is that the clean and unclean created this distinction between Israel and the other nations. What happens when your religion dictates what you eat. That means that it is involved in, in your everyday life, <laughs> right? Every day, every meal, whenever you're going about what you produce to eat. You know, you're, you're a rancher. What kind of animals are you going to raise? Well, things that are clean. Um, oh, it, 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 what, what are you going to have for supper? Well, something that is clean. And so these food laws would have been really practical in penetrating their entire lives with the fact that we are Hebrews, we are children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we are God's people, and he is our God. Why are we eating this? Because we are his people, and he is our God. Why can't we eat that? Because we are his people, and, and, and he is our God. And so it would have been uh, caused their religion to, to, to dominate their daily life that they lived within God's boundaries for holiness. It would have created this distinction between Israel and the other nations. That gets interesting because you might ask the question, if the Jews were supposed to do this, does that mean that the Gentiles were morally accountable when they went around eating unclean things? A Gentile would have been morally accountable if he was a murderer, a Gentile would have been morally accountable if he was a thief. Was a Gentile morally accountable if he ate an oyster because he had violated God's law? And we don't actually see that in the scriptures. The Gentiles are not condemned in the Old Testament for dietary laws. They're, they're condemned for other violations of God's law, and God's judgment will come even on Gentile nations because of their immorality of various kinds, but it's never because of dietary laws. You made yourselves unclean by uh, eating a seal. Like, that, that wasn't a category of judgment that fell on the Gentile nations, and so that seems to be telling us 
that these laws, again, they weren't rock-solid morality. They were matters of symbolic cleanness and uncleanness, and so therefore they created this distinction with God's people where they were different from everybody else. Um, Let's go over to Acts. And I want us to go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 10 is where God has the sheet descend down to Peter with all the critters, and he tells them to eat, and then he goes and preaches to Cornelius. Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit, and they go, whoa, Gentiles are getting the Holy Spirit just like us. Chapter 11 is Peter reporting to the church what happened, and so he basically is reviewing what happened in chapter 9 as he tells it to the church. So I want us to read 11, mainly just because it's interesting to hear it from an after-the-fact perspective. So here's Peter rehearsing what happened to him. Acts 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a a voice saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So he's never eaten an unclean thing. At least he thinks he hasn't. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and it was all drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go to them, making no distinction. So these are Gentiles, but he's supposed to go talk to them like, Without, without distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is interesting because... And, and how it relates to clean and unclean things. It's, real, it's interesting for a lot of reasons, but how it relates to un, uh, uh, clean and unclean things. Because it's not as though Peter received a revelation from God and God said, Peter, the Gentiles can now be forgiven of their unclean ways. Oh, great. They can be forgiven even though they're unclean and eat pork. Instead, he says, Peter, you can eat it too. 
And you're not supposed to think of them as being unclean anymore. Stop thinking about this food as being unclean. And that's epitomizing the fact that you're not supposed to look at those pig eaters over there as unclean either. And actually, God's going to save them without any kind of distinction. So this food, I, th- I think, I think he's, he's pointing out that this food made a distinction between you and the other nations. Now, no more distinction. You eat that and he can be saved just like you and receive the Holy Spirit just like you. So again, it doesn't seem like the Gentiles were offenders because they ate unclean things, but rather the clean and unclean ceremonial laws here create a distinction between God's people and everybody else, and God goes here in, in Acts, that distinction is not there anymore. Forget it. Eat the food, go talk to the Gentile. That distinction and that fact that it would have penetrated all the Jewish life, um, it's very uh, close, or at least it seems very close, to how uh, kosher laws exist today. Modern kosher laws, by the way, are, go way beyond the bounds of Scripture. They miss Christ and this instruction <laughs> right here, okay? And, they, and kosher laws bind religious Jews under legalism, okay? They are not good things. But if you think about it, every contemporary religious traditional Jew, they're reminded every meal, we are Jews, not Gentiles. We eat this, not that. And although modern Jews are operating sinfully in how they do it, you can kind of understand how that Religion penetrating all of your life would be just this thing in the front of your mind reminding you we are God's people and everybody else is not. We belong to him and we have these things that show our distinction. And they were supposed to maintain that distinction between those things that were clean and those things that were <coughs> unclean. Any uh, thoughts so far? I got one thing, one more thing I want to talk about, but, but any observations or thoughts so far? What's that? Yeah, Pro- proximity to death, abnormalities, like deviations from the norm, um, association with worshiping Yahweh, and then to maintain a distinction. I think that's sort of a bigger one. Like this maintains the distinction between them and everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Um be holy for I am holy, and verse 47, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. That's also what uh, Aaron was commanded back in chapter 10, right after Nadab and Abihu die. Um, He tells Aaron, hey, here's your responsibility. You're to distinguish between the holy and the common, 
and between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. <clears throat> Any other observations, thoughts here? If a person would have persisted in being unclean, if they hadn't taken advantage of the, the procedure that God had given so that they could be clean, um, then they would have been in moral violation. They would not have been living as people who were uh, qualified to be within the camp. If you're going to be here in God's presence, you have to maintain this distinction and not violate or contaminate yourselves through unclean sort of behavior, and that would be true of all the rest of the uncleanness laws we're going to talk about later, too. The, the purity was required. There were those who were inside the camp, the Jews, and there were those who were outside the camp, mainly the Gentiles. They were the ones who were outside the camp. But if you didn't per- perform as a Jew ought, then you were acting as someone who is, is to be outside the camp, and, and that behavior was uh, unacceptable. It was, un- it was unrighteous and they needed to be restored. Some sort of restoration had to be um, carried out. I think there is um, some application for the New Testament church, and this is a, this is a sort of a, this isn't a direct application. This is just by, uh, by way of considering what the rest of Scripture has to say. And that is, in, in Christendom, uh, Jesus stands here like this, welcoming those who would repent and believe in him. But, but uh, the fact that he stands here like this doesn't mean that there's no distinctions, right? Jesus would go, hey, there is a broad way and there is a narrow way. And he's standing here like this at the end of the narrow way, but there's a distinction between the, the broad and the narrow. There's a distinction between those who are acceptable to God because of faith in Jesus Christ and those who are under his judgment. The, the breaking down of distinctions between Jews and Gentiles and Jesus' compassion and love and willingness to welcome any human being doesn't mean kumbaya, everybody is fine, right? That would be a pretty severe overcorrection regarding God's, God's mercy. There, the, the, the narrow way is accessible to anyone, but it's also the only way. Um, the, the eternal life is provided, but there's still people who are under judgment if they don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. There is still such a thing as right and wrong behavior. We're a holy people who are set apart to God. That doesn't mean that everything that we do is just fine because, look, Jesus doesn't have these distinctions anymore. Well, no, there is still such a thing as right and wrong behavior. Right and wrong behavior might not be determined now by what you have for lunch. You might not be unclean because of the thing that you eat, but your behavior can still be righteous or or unrighteous. It can still reflect God's holiness or it can fail to reflect God's holiness. There's still such a thing as blessing and, uh, and punishment. And even within uh, the church, b- with belonging to, to the body of Christ, there's such a thing as being in or being out. You profess faith in Jesus Christ, 
and demonstrate that you're, you really have been transformed by Jesus Christ. We, you brothers and sisters together. But if you're a person who with your mouth professes faith in Christ and yet, and yet there's just, it, it's off. Like, where, where's the evidence that you've been, been born again? Like, we've been patient, but you seem hardened in your ways. You don't seem to have a valid profession of faith. There's such a thing as being out. And, and even in the church, there's such a thing as church discipline, where you've been so unrepentant that we consider you to be out. And, and, and uh, it's not because we want to kick you out, and it's not because we slammed the door. The door's still open, but your unrepentance has shown that, that, that we, we don't have anything to say except that it seems like you're out. You're not being holy as God has called you to be holy. And, and we, as a church, have, have responsibility and, uh, to receive those with a valid profession of faith and to remove if that profession of faith crumbles. There's still these categories of, of in and of out. Um, the... the, the how we discern those things is different, um, but those distinctions still exist. It's still such a thing as being with Christ or being apart uh, from him. So that's just sort of some, some long-distance application uh, there. As a, a Gentile and as someone who likes bacon, I'm glad we don't have these particular markers of cleanness and uncleanness but the standard as a saint to be holy as God is holy still stands. So we read the rest of Scripture to be informed on, on what that looks like so that we may walk in a, a manner that is worthy of him, that is fully pleasing uh, to him. Because that's sort of an unshaken principle that God's people are called to be holy for God is holy. Um, let us pray and we will be done. I think people are stacking up outside. <laughs> God, teach us your ways more perfectly. Um, Lord, we see in this that you took the holiness and cleanness of your people really seriously down to the very details of their lives. And although our details are different, help us to live every moment before you. Even if we don't have food reminding us of how our faith penetrates all of our lives, we do have instruction, clear things from your word that tell us that our entire lives are to be dedicated to you. So keep that at the forefront of our minds. And uh, thank you that, that the testimony that we belong to you isn't an external behavior of what we eat or don't eat, but is an internal Holy Spirit going, you belong to God, we belong to God. So help us to be sensitive to that, to your spirit and to your word as we go about our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.